0: You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com
1: it's pastor brandon and today's sermon is titled the called versus the crowd and we're going to be looking at two very different groups that is presented in the gospel of mark today and today's sermon is obviously and primarily for our church Redem city church but it's also being used for others that are um, participating in this sermon for a variety of reasons um, from right here in, in oregon and across multiple state lines and even a couple that are outside of our country. And, you know, we are living in really stressful times. None of us saw um, this pandemic coming three years ago, and none of us could probably imagined that three years into it, we would still be um, suffering through the effects of it. And everyone has a different opinion on what, what we should do next as a country, as a world, as a society. And there's division all over the place, right? We have division going on with politics. There's a lot of racial tension and divide. Um, you know, we've never been more charged, you know, in recent history, Republicans and Democrats, and we're just having a really difficult time. We're having resource and energy problems, right? We're dealing with things like literally people are trying to buy a Toyota camera and having to wait six months because um, materials are scarce because of COVID and labor problems and everything. Like, we're really going through a difficult time for those who are who are paying attention. And so um, I've just been burdened in my heart and um, praying and saying, God, you know, what do you have for your people? What do you have for me as a pastor? How do I lead my church? How do I leave, lead lead those who you've called and entrusted to me. And so this sermon um, is actually interrupting our Philemon series that um, Pastor Jack um, just opened up, and I approached him, and I said, Pastor Jack, I feel we need to deal with a few things, and we talked about that, and he was in total agreement. And so um, that's what we're doing today. We're taking a a break from the series of Philemon, and we're having this important conversation about uh, two very different groups. They're very different, and it was the called and it was the crowd. And we're going to see how Jesus reacts to both of them and what he does. And I believe that's so important because I believe that there's something in the, um, the crowd um, that I find to be unhelpful for us um, as the church today. And there's something distinctly important about the energy and the disposition of the called that I believe is the exact recipe of what Jesus is calling us to be right now in the times that we are, that we're living in. And so without further ado, um, we're going to spend the next hour and a half or so um, in God's Word. And and I pray that um, the Holy Spirit uses this sermon to awaken you um, Um, with the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Word being illuminated to see your part in the sermon. And and then for our church, I'm praying that next week on Sunday, we're going to be having a very important dialogue and a a very important conversation that I hope really leads us to um, what God has for us as a church in this next season to come. And then for those who are joining us with joining with us today i hope that this sparks you also to begin having that conversation either by reaching out to our church um, we're going to be making ourselves available or reaching out to a community near you so you can figure out what that means for you to to really follow jesus as a bible believing christ exalting christian during this time that we're living in, and this season um, of American history, because this will go down in history, and we know it's going to go down in history for a lot of reasons, but I'm really interested to know what is going to be written in history for us as the church. So let's get into God's Word today. Single sermon, not a series. Let's go and let's grow. If you have your Bibles, and I really hope you do, let's open them to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verse 7, and we're going to be all up in that text in just a little bit. And today, we're going to be talking about a message that's titled, The Called versus The Crowd, two groups with very different destinies now now today i want to show you a clear contrast right between two groups of people and i want you to know that that you and and me most definitely fall into one of these two categories and and these two groups are referred to in scripture as as the crowd right and and also the call like these are those two groups and i want to point blank ask you this question for us to just jump into as our diving board today and it's this which group are you in? Are you a part of the called? Are you a part of the crowd? Because we're going to see in just the next few minutes a large crowd of people, right, who thought, they really thought that they were following Jesus, but in reality, folks, they weren't. And and then next, we're going to see a significantly smaller group of people, like a small group of, of men who experienced what it truly meant to follow Jesus. And I don't know about you, but but that's a that's a really important distinction and and so today I'm going to be juxtaposing both this this called group and, and this crowd group and, and I want us to keep asking ourselves are we a part of the crowd or or, or are we a part of the call. Like, listen to me. Today's conversation is so very important for you and I to take seriously, and I mean it, because your life today and and your life for all of eternity folks, it hinges on the choice between these two groups and where you find yourself in and where your affections draw you to. So so with that weight and that tension and that energy, let's just march right now into the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, chapter three, verse seven, and we're going to see what what God has for us in the text as we see these two groups presented, juxtaposed from each other. Here we go. It's, It's on your screen. And the word of the Lord says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. And a great crowd, okay, here it is, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea um, um, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all, all that he namely jesus was doing they came to him verse 9 says and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd lest they crush him for he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him and whenever the unclean spirits saw him they fell down before him and cried out you are the son of god and he strictly ordered them not to make him Known Okay, in verse 13, it, it picks up with, with the second group called the called. And so the word of the Lord says, And and he went up on a mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve so Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Barandres, that is the son of thunder. Verse 18 says, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him oh man there is so so much here let's just stop and pray for the next few moments to to ready our hearts let's let's do that now god i pray that over the next hour or so you would open our eyes to honestly just honestly examine whether we are men and women of the crowd or, or of the called, and, and God, I pray that you would use this message beyond today in such a way that brings some and and perhaps many people out from the crowd supernaturally into the called, and I pray that you would move our church to be more like we see here of the called in, in Mark chapter 3, and, and I pray that we would be a church that thrives on being with you and then being sent out from you around this city and eventually around the world in a time where literally the whole world is divided and struggling with pandemics and endemics and politics and critical theories and, and honestly so much more. Heavenly Father, I know there's nothing I can say or, or do to bring about these things today. It's, it's only by your Spirit that these things can occur, so I pray that over the next hour you would give us open hearts and you would open our minds to hear your Spirit speaking to us and that we today, Lord, that we might respond to you. May this be a springboard for a very important church fellowship, for for our church coming up next Sunday. May this be a springboard for those who are listening across multiple state lines to examine and and re-examine where they're at with you, Jesus. And and we trust that you're going to show up for us today. Be big for us today. It's because of your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Okay, okay, okay. So, so so quick question. How how do you know if you're a part of the the crowd or or if you're really a part of what we call or what scripture's calling the call like like what's the difference between the two okay well well in order for us to really answer that question we need to fully open up what, what what's happening here in in mark chapter 3 with with great circumspection examining the characteristic differences between the two okay so so let's start off with probably the most important and identifiable distinction of the crowd present it right here in the text okay so here it is it's it's on your screen the most important and identifiable distinction of the crowd is that the crowd saw jesus as a means to an end okay repeat after me the crowd saw jesus as a means to an end Right, right, and, and this is something that occurs all over Jesus' life throughout the Gospels, right? Like, like time and time again, over and over, we see Jesus coming and people seeking him because they want to get what they want to receive what they want to receive from jesus and, and this crowd in, in mark chapter 3 had had many many things that they wanted to get from jesus didn't they like like they wanted healing from their diseases and they wanted the evil spirits cast out of them right here in the text and and so they reacted by by pressing all around him more and more just trying to touch our king jesus in order to get what they wanted. Okay, but pay attention. It's not that the crowd actually wanted Jesus, folks. That's not what was happening. It's that they wanted Jesus' stuff. Are you tracking with me? Rather, that was healing from stuff or deliverance from stuff or opportunity for, for more stuff or gain for, for new stuff. Jesus was a means to an end to get more things, to get more stuff. Jesus was a means to to an end or or various ends towards these desirable and understandable things and and we know this is true right because there are many passages all throughout the gospels and and definitely right here in the gospel of mark of what we're reading where where Jesus doesn't where he doesn't specifically give them what they are specifically looking for and they choose time and time again all throughout the Gospels, to leave him, to rebuke him, to rile up against him with bitterness, to cast stones at him. And ultimately, folks, they would leave. And and today I want to draw attention to the fact that we are all... Every single one of us are tempted and prone in that same way to respond like the crowd and to activate from those same desires with actions towards namely seeing Jesus as a means, folks, a means to our ends or, or various ends within our life. Okay, in fact, I want you to know that it's it's dangerously easy to fall into the rhythm where you call yourself a Christian, a Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christian, and then you kind of create this, this whole picture of Christianity, and it's, and it's not biblical, that merely uses Jesus as a means to get a multitude of good things in your life. And, and I want you to know that it's also dangerously easy to then lead other people in what you call discipleship with this false view of who Jesus is and what Jesus is about, and you're calling them out of their story into some other false reality of God's story, and, and then disciples are made that way and, and churches start springing up that way with the same faulty kind of mindset. Okay, so question for you, are you, not nobody else, not him, not her, are you prone to fall into that Mark chapter 3 crowd-like mentality at times in your life? Answer that question out loud. Yes or no? Okay, listen. The answer is yes, 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 you are. You most definitely are. And, and honestly, any other reason or any other answer that you give, you're either lying or you're not self-aware, folks. I'm just being honest. Like, like track with me. Imagine you're stranded at sea and, and your life is in danger to the point where you really think you're going to die. And you've been, you've been waiting out there for, for hours and hours and, and you're fading, this is you're going to die d i e and then and then off to a distance you see a boat that's finally coming your way now now of course you want that life to boat to save you right like like we all would in that moment and that's why you and and me would gladly get in that boat when it arrives like that's not a problem it doesn't matter if it's if it's a french boat or an american boat a chinese boat a republican boat a democratic boat we're going to get in that boat because we want to live okay but track with me that doesn't necessarily mean that you love the captain of that boat boat, does it? No, it doesn't. In fact, it's extremely possible to love the rescue and not love the rescuer. I'm going to say that again. It's extremely possible that you love being rescued. You're in danger. You want out. You don't have something that you need. The boat has something you need. It's, it's possible to love the rescue, but not love The rescuer or at least it's extremely possible to love being rescued but be neutral uh, towards the person that is doing the rescuing and and if we're not careful this is what our relationship folks is going to be like with jesus and it's not good. And and who we call brothers and sisters in Christ, who we track with in our life-to-life rhythms, will be crowds of people who don't want to go to hell. And they just want to take the easy path and the easy streets to the supposed lifeboat to heaven. But when you look closer, it will become radically apparent, or at least questionable, if... Uh, uh, excuse me, at least questionable if they really want the captain of that boat or just what the captain has to offer. And folks, if we're not careful, we ourselves are going to be referred to by others as being those brothers and sisters of the crowd. Okay. Do you know how possible it is to say that you're a Christian and to gratefully enjoy your your Christian life and to do all your Christian activities and to enjoy all kinds of great gifts from God and even to thank and worship God on Sunday for these great gifts and to consistently ask God for things and then to kind of turn that and spin that and make it about the kingdom while you remain ridiculously far from God. you're miss- And you could be missing the whole point altogether. So I'm urging you to answer my question from your heart. Where is your heart? Is it more for the gifts of God? Or is God your gift? Like, tell the truth. Is it, is it a close call? Come on. Tell the truth. Uh, Is it hard to really know? Like Pastor Brent, I don't. I'm not sure. It's hard for me to tell. Uh, Does does it depend on the day or the circumstance or what's going on in your life? Like, like where, where is your heart? Now, let me just raise my hand right now at this point of the sermon and say that I have 100 percent been guilty of having that crowd-like mentality at different points in my life. Like, I have been guilty of using Jesus. It's hard to say this, but but I've been guilty of using Jesus in times in the past as a means to an end in my life to get stuff, stuff that I thought was valuable, stuff that I thought I really needed. And I'm just being honest with you. like let me just be honest, like when I became a pastor at nineteen, I had a whole story before being nineteen. And and one way to kind of bottle cap that is that I had a great story of of not really getting uh, having a lot of friends growing up in elementary school and not being really popular. And so affirmation, affirmation for me was such a big deal. Okay, so fast forward. Now I'm 19, and I was never really the popular kid, and I was never that cool, and now I'm 19, and I'm a pastor, and I get to talk to people, or I get to help people, and wow, what do you know? People start responding to me and thanking me for helping them change their life. Folks, this this desire to be affirmed by people who will listen to my sermons or people that I would walk with and do discipleship with our pastor, it became like a drug to me, you see? And so as I continued to grow and, and deepen out, as a pastor, I kept um, subconsciously needing more and more affirmation and praise and, and attaboys and things like that Like like if you would have asked me at 23, I would have been like no i'm good But folks, I didn't see this for what it was until I got injured when I was 26 with my chiropractic injury And when I laid on my back and I wasn't able to be on that stage and I felt really whack as a person I'm, just being honest. I was able to see how much I had been using jesus to get to stuff, to use the mantle of a pastor to get to stuff. And it was a long, healing journey for me to grow to a point of health where my identity was radically in Jesus, praise Christ, insofar that He became enough. He became the reason for all things that I did. I began to have this intimacy with him where where no one was there. I began to read my Bible for the sake of reading my Bible. I began to learn deep things in the Bible because I wanted to learn them, not so I could preach them. Folks, it's not until Jesus became my gift that I could be healthy enough to enjoy the gifts that Jesus that Jesus gives, like like, can't you see how difficult this is and this deadly heart condition of of wanting the 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 gifts from the giver more than the giver, folks? It doesn't discriminate against anyone. Like it comes for the best of us. Like it comes from those we respect the most and those we admire and we look up to and are pillars and examples of who we would say lead are leaders of the Christian faith. Like, just look at this example of a clip I'm going to show right now of renowned pastor and author David Platt. He addressed his church the first week of January, right here, 2022, for the first time. This man took a courage step right here just a few weeks ago and he humbled himself before his church and he shared about the reality of the very ministry that so many of you have grown to love i mean he's written radical and follow jesus and all these books and he and he addresses the reality of what was going on in his heart throughout many of those years. And I'm going to be honest, this is going to be so weighty for some of you young people and young ministers and and young leaders out there that that look up to him and and maybe even hearing my testimony of what was going on with me might be shocking to you. But nevertheless, let's let's play this clip and let's see David Platt take this radical step of humility to share his testimony. I've shared with you before about a long season of my
0: life years ago as a pastor when the church I was pastoring was growing a lot and a lot of people were reading a book I had written and I was getting invited to preach in all kinds of different places around the country and I was loving it but for a long stretch of time when all those great things were happening on the outside my time alone with God was essentially non-existent Sure, I would pray in a worship gathering where I was preaching, but I would rarely be alone with God in prayer. I would study the Bible in order to preach a sermon, but I never studied it just to know God. That frightens me. How successful, so to speak, I could be in the eyes of the church and supposedly Christian culture around me without any actual desire for Christ. See this? Like, how sick is this? I was using Jesus to build a growing church and a popular ministry and a good name for myself. I was using God to get what I wanted in my life and even in the church. And I might have said, I definitely would have said, I wanted God, but you look at my life, it was clear I didn't want
1: God. I wanted His gifts. Wow, wow, wow praise praise god brother for taking taking that step okay so so here's the reality whether whether it's my story or or it's his story no one no one is exempt from falling into the crowd when your life goes unchecked and is devoid from robust accountability and devotion true devotion to god's word when we are folks when we are surrounded by people who only praise us and compliment us and want to be neutral and never want any conflict heaven forbid and won't tell us the honest and difficult things that we need to hear when we use the bible as a source to be leveraged towards our wants instead of a living praise god a living resource to pledge our allegiance to at the heart and obedience. Level, when we do all of these things, we arrive in the dangerous waters of having an illegitimate an illegitimate relationship with our God, and we become a people without biblical vision. And we talked about that all throughout our church history. People die when they don't have a vision. Right without, without a vision, the people cast off restraints is what the Word of God says. And, and if we don't have a vision for our lives and the world around us, when we can't be fruity and we can't be salt and light to this world, like folks, can't you see? That's the difference between the called in this passage juxtaposed to the crowd in this passage. The crowd only saw and desired Jesus as a means to an end. Yet this small group, This small little faction of men, this this group of men that the Bible refers to as the called, realized that Jesus is the end. And and that's our next important takeaway. The, The most important and identifiable distinction of the called is that the called saw Jesus as the end. Okay, repeat after me so we can get this in our head and heart. The called saw Jesus as the end. And now, now, let me show you again what I mean in the text from verse 14. Okay, so let's look at this. I want you to see it for yourself. I want you to be a great student learner. Here it is, verse 14. And he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him like like can't you see jesus called these disciples not to receive this and that and this and that from him uh from them instead jesus called them so that they might be with him this is really deep we're gonna we're gonna really start to kind of peel this onion one layer at a time okay so 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 that's it i i really need you to get this eyes up here with your mind so clear eyes up here with your minds so clear pay attention this was an infinitely critical point in jesus's ministry like like contextually i want you to know that he had just got done dealing with tons tons of opposition and he just got done spending the whole night in prayer about the exact problem of the crowd and the need for god to deliver him those who were gonna be called so he can progress his ministry. Like, do you hear what I'm saying to you right now? The night before, our King Jesus was pleading with the Father that he needed a different type of help from a different type of people that carried a different mentality with a different energy, with a different heart than those who were pressing all around him. Just check it out for yourself in Luke chapter 6. It's a legit depiction of what i'm talking about right now because if you do you will see that jesus was offending the traditions of religion and its leadership structures day and night he was doing that and he was calling their focus fraudulent folks that's what jesus was doing and and the pastors and the and the university professors uh contextually that's what we're going to call them and the pastors and the university professors of that time were plotting to destroy him I mean, they were upset, and all the while, great crowds were were following him, but they were not interested in the spiritual things at all, and the aims and the trajectories of what Jesus was trying to communicate to them. They weren't interested, and as a result, they quickly continued to turn on our King Jesus. Okay, so, so what was Jesus' response? Blood, war, anger, disciplinary actions now? No, 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 no. That's not what he did. Stop it. His response to all these things was to pray and to ask the Father for wisdom as he would choose a people that he would train and make his own. Jesus is different folks. So so in one sense there was nothing. There was nothing in Jesus's entire 3-year ministry outside of the cross, of course. That was more important than this this day and this 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 little mini season right here, right? Like figuring out the difference between the crowd versus the called and making that great decision of who he was going to name and appoint as the called. Man, that was the most important part of Jesus' ministry, separate the cross. And, And he made that choice with God's wisdom. And in verse 13 and 14, he called to him those whom he desired, those whom he wanted, and he called them, folks he called them disciples. Okay, now focus. Now, now a disciple is a student, but but not not in the sense that we think through students, right? Like that's in a classroom or perhaps getting a lecture at a university. Instead, a disciple learned by being with and hearing from his master. Oh, oh man, this is this is really critical. Let's let's make sure we understand our fundamentals and our basics here. So, so keep track of it with me. Okay, so so in other words, a disciple was an, was an, uh, excuse me was an apprentice and learned from their master firsthand. It's a little bit different. So so there is an element right of personal attachment. Like they're personally attached in being a disciple that's radically different than being a student in a classroom or in a university setting today. Like, like, can't you see the first job of being a disciple, a student learner of Jesus was simply to be with Jesus, to learn and grow and thrive from being around him. Doing life with him, learning from him, being literally attached to him. And then and only after, then and only after this foundation was set in a secondary sense, then they were. Chosen by Jesus to go out and to preach the good news. Oh, okay, so so a believer, a genuine disciple of Jesus, is useful and only fruitful for Jesus to the exact extent that they've been with Jesus. I'm going to say it to you again because this is, this is a paradigm shift. A believer, a genuine disciple of Jesus, is only useful and only fruitful for Jesus to to, to the extent that they have been with Jesus. If you've been with Jesus a little bit, that's how effective you're going to be a little effective. If you've been with Jesus a long time, you're going to have a larger effect to the degree that you are attached to Jesus. It's to that same degree your power flows from. Without being with Jesus, the whole structure of biblical discipleship, it falls apart, folks. It, it, it's, not, it, it's not biblical. Okay, and, and what the Bible is communicating is that Jesus saw something distinctly different within these small group of men. He saw it in them because they were primarily drawn to Jesus himself. Are you seeing that in the text? They were drawn to Jesus Himself and not what Jesus could do for them. Miracle. Miracle, right? Okay, so is that your desire? You know, namely to be with Jesus. Period. Because this is what true faith and genuine relationship with Jesus looks like, folks, according according to the Bible. So, so think with me now in, in Psalms chapter 27, verse 4, because it powerfully communicates and illustrates the energy and the disposition of what the Bible is saying a disciple of Christ looks like at the heart level. So here it is on your screen. Psalms 27, verse 4. Here's what the word of the Lord says. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek and and that which I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Oh man, that is some serious, legit, deep desire for Jesus, right? For our Heavenly Father. That doesn't sound like American Christianity to me. I don't know what you're hearing. I don't hear that type of desire and language every day from the professing Christians that I uh, see on an everyday basis. Like To genuinely get to the point where you are saying from the heart level and you're being genuine that that all I want and all I need and all I seek and all I ask for is to dwell with Jesus forever. Folks, to get to that type of a, a energy and a heart level. Folks, that's different. That is countercultural. That's unpopular even inside of our modern day churches. And folks, unfortunately, even in our churches, folks, that type of a mentality is abnormal. Because the the modern day Psalms 27 cultural Christianity version will look something more like this. Honestly, for most of us here, here it is on your screen. Here's our modern day Psalms 27 broken verse 4 type of type of energy the one thing i ask of the lord and that which i seek after with expectation to receive is that i may have amazing health a healthy family a, a respectful kids a loving spouse a nice house a pretty blouse a semi-decent car financial freedom better relationships more vacation time, no pain, more financial gain, more friends, no enemies, more sex, less stress, a better country, understandable politics, no politics, a better educational system, a better apartment manager, lower taxes, and oh oh yeah, oh yeah, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So I can gaze upon the beauty of the Lord because he was so good in giving me a great life, and to inquire it of his temple about what more I can gain here now that I am in heaven. Oh, man. Now, now you say, oh, Pastor Brad, that sounds funny, but, but honestly, folks, that's how so many of us Christians are living it today. And that's not God's heart. You know, when I was preparing this sermon, I decided to spend some devotion time really examining the things in my heart that I sometimes exchange my focus for and I seek after more than I seek after God. And, and here is my list. I, these are the things that I could sometimes fall into. Family unity, vision for my organization, financial growth, physical and health relief, entertainment from media, escapes from leadership pressure, affirmation for a hard work completed. Okay. And so, and so once I had my whole list down and I was being faithful and I was examining my heart and not giving myself any escape routes, I prayed that God would help me to lay them down to lay them down so that I would be able to rightly enjoy these good gifts. But I prayed that I would be able to enjoy God, God above all these gifts. That's so important to me. So so what if that was what you did for your homework? What would the results be? Like, like, what if you were really honest with yourself about the good gifts that you desire and you want and you talk about and you meditate on, and, and sometimes that take a priority in the wrong way, and that and you lay them down before the feet of Jesus and you ask the Holy Spirit to help you to elevate God and to seek God above. Those things. And, and what if you then prayed for the Holy Spirit to empower you to keep enjoying the good gifts that God gives, but that they would be in their proper place in such a way that they would become spear-filled pointers to the real point in Jesus. And, and what if you then humbled yourself to ask God and to tell God that you really suck at doing this well? That you, that, you, that you suck at it and that you want him to help you to become someone who thrives at orientating your affections to see him as supremely valuable above all things. And, and I mean truly seeing him as supremely valuable in a way that allows you from the heart level to not just be okay all the time in your life, but that you would be joyful and content despite the seasons and despite the tragic reasons when the things that you want and the things that you think you need and the desires of your heart aren't available to you. Because that's a reality, folks. We're living in a pandemic. Some say we're moving into an endemic. We're living in a time where there are critical theories and critical race theories and division and racial tensions, and we're not getting what we want. And we as a country and we we as a world, we're struggling. We're struggling because things aren't in order, and we we are in disease, and we are distracted, and we are in distress, and we don't have a category for how to be the people of God. But God has a way in his word for us to live through the tragic seasons and the difficult reasons of things going on in our lives. And he promises us joy and he promises us that we could be content. But folks, Jesus has to be at the center because we're living. We're living. Whether you wonder or not, we know this. We are living through this pandemic or now as it becomes an endemic. And we're living in a time where we have to come back together as the people of God, Big C Ecclesia Church, and our local church expressions. We have to acknowledge what's happening. It is a time of racial division. It is a time of political divide. It is a time where literally energy and resource depletion is happening. Restrictive mandates are happening. One day you can do this, one day you can't. Put this mask on, put this mask off. This is where it's at. It's affecting our economy. It's affecting our relationships and our attitudes towards life. And folks, I believe we're entering into a time, whether we want to or not, through God's grace, where our hearts towards individualism and self exaltation and unhealthy ideologies of freedom and our rebellious spirits, I believe in God's grace, they're being revealed to us. And the church, I believe, is experiencing God's grace insofar that our, our hearts as a church are being revealed through this pandemic, and I believe that if we open our eyes with spirit-filled attentionality, we'll see this, folks, as a great opportunity and a sweet, sweet grace from our God. Okay, so, so today I left you some space so you can examine what things are taking place in your heart that belongs to Jesus, and I want you to do that on your roadmap on your own time. And I really hope you do that because it's so important. Like, like, this is where real, true life is going to be found for you. By humbling yourself and, and, and being honest with yourself and writing down the things that are in God's spot. The things that you're desiring above Him that you think you have to have and laying them at the cross. Lay your gifts before the giver and ask and confess and repent like like we just talked about what the good life was just a couple sermons ago, right? We learned that a good life is going to be radically dependent from a biblical perspective on having the good hand of our good Lord upon it. And we learned that there, there's three attributes, kind of how we framed it, that led our man Ezra, who was kind of like our focal point, to have God's good hand on his life so that he would have a good life. Because we learned those three things were that he sought the word with all of his his heart, or in the original translation, all his cardia, meaning all his mind. He he sought him with his mind, and he sought him with his will, his choices, and and he and he sought God with his emotions, the things he felt, and he and he juxtaposed him to God's word and chose God's word over his feelings. And then we learned that he then took what he sought in the word of God with his heart, mind, and, 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 and energy and feelings, and he acted upon it. He did what the word of God said, and then he taught it to others. And the word of God said it counted him, of, and that counted Ezra at having the good hand of God on his life that led to a good life. But folks, the point of all of that is not to make some legalistic rule book for you to follow. That's not the point. It's to give you life. Life, life. Real, deep, robust, concrete, dependable life in Jesus. Praise Christ. Like just listen to the end of the verse in James chapter 1 verse 12. It's it's on your screen blessed we we, we talked about what that word means here at rcc right blessed means uh, happy or joyful or or um given the extreme opportunity for for prosperity spirit-filled prosperity in christ so let's read that again blessed joyful happy position for biblical prosperity is the man is the man who remains steadfast under trial Okay, or, or, and if you don't know, what does a trial mean, Pastor Brandon? It means when, when you're walking through times where you're losing good things, when you can't get the car you want, when the job's falling apart, when the kids get sick, when the marriage is difficult, that's trials, like, like open up the word for you. I want you to see God's word today blessed, joyful, happy, positioned to be spiritually and biblically prosperous is the man or woman who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test. What is the test? remaining in christ staying with jesus not exchanging the demand for the gifts that you feel you're not getting in the trials and maintaining your focus on the giver okay so for when he has stood that test he will receive the crown of life wow which god has promised to those who go to church Give to religious missions and have a good family or have good friends or have a good reputation or a good job or a good amount of money, right? No, 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 no. Stop it. That's the condition of our hearts. But that's not God's word. Like here, here's God's word on the screen. Blessed, joyful, happy position for biblical and spiritual prosperity is the man or woman who remains steadfast under the seasons and the eras when they don't get the things that they want Yet they remain joyful and satisfied and content in the giver, namely Jesus. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Are you ready? Which God has promised to those who love God. God, God, God is the point, folks. Folks, this is where life abundant life is found namely in our love in our love for god in fact this is what james talks about after verse 12 when he says you say okay you say you believe in god well, big deal. Even the demons believe in God. But the real question is, do you know him? And do you love your God? Come on. James is preaching to us today. And, and Jesus himself warns us about this in Matthew chapter 7 when he talked about the day of judgment coming. Remember? Okay, I'm going to put it on your screen. We've got to see this today. Here it is. This is Jesus talking. And on that day, he's referring to judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And and then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness okay let me let me unpack this for you real quick so you can see the weight of what jesus is saying he's saying on that day many will say to me lord 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 i went to church and i gave my tithes and i went on my global missions trip and i did all these things i even talked about your name and i even put the truth of the bible in moments where people were living contrary and then Jesus he leans in in verse 23 and says, "And I'm going to declare to those people, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness." Oh man, this this is weighty now. Okay, okay, look at me. What what do you think and who do you think Jesus is referring to in this text? Who is he referring to? I'm going to tell you the crowd, folks. He's referring to the energy and the disposition of the crowd. But remember, the crowd was calling themselves followers of Jesus too. Don't Don't forget that. That's that's very important. And and I find that to be so weighty because essentially Jesus is saying that the crowd isn't his people. The crowd is not his family. And the crowd are not his adopted children, sons and daughters. uh, And that the crowd won't dwell with him in his father's house. And the crowd won't dwell with him in eternity. Okay, so we just need to pause and ask ourselves personally, do I love God? Do I actually love God? And do I actually know God? Do I know Him? Do I know Him and do I love Him? Is is looking upon God and speaking to God the one thing that I want above all things? Is that truly in my heart? Or do I actually want a ton of other things in this world and I want a ton of other things that are attached to God and as for God honestly God is a means to these various desires that I have. And, and, and all you have to do, folks, to get to the root of the genuine answer that is living in your heart right now is to simply look upon the evidences in your life. It will bear the truth. Folks, the point of today's sermon and beacon light and, and and honestly exhortation and ex an exhortation to call you and myself to attention the point is to shine the brightest spirit-filled light that I possibly can on this false notion that Jesus is a means to our ends because he's not listen not only is your framework and heart and desires wrong there if that's you having jesus as a means to your end it won't get you through the hard times do you hear me it won't work it can't work it's not god's way you are going to need something deeper something more sturdy with more girth something more real something more spirit filled something more anointed something infinitely wiser to believe upon namely the creator of all things but but here's my fear and i'm just being honest with you today my fear is that part of your heart is still not fully getting it you're not fully tracking with me today in this sermon uh, regarding how deep this goes okay eyes up here with your mind so clear eyes up here with your mind so clear lean in this false notion and anthem come to jesus and get health and wealth and prosperity and fame and opportunity and blessing and etc etc like like what do you think about all that when i say that Like, what comes to your mind? Because I'm just being honest with you. My fear is that some of you long-term believers who are often neutral and complacent and content in your growth in the Lord are saying to yourselves right now, I don't have that struggle, Pastor Brandon, I'm not that shallow, I'm not of the crowd, and I'm not stealing, and I'm not cheating on anyone, and I tithe to my church regularly, and I do my Bible study all the time, so there's not much fruit in this sermon for me. This is not a sermon for me. Okay, okay, be careful, brothers and sisters, be careful. Because we are a little more than halfway through this sermon right now. And my fear is that you're running out of time to see and to catch yourself so that the word might correct you are you are you tracking with me and and don't get me wrong some of us some of us aren't of the crowd today i get that indeed some of us really do and really are right now embodying and exemplifying what it means to walk as as god's chosen people as god as those who are who are called but but here's what else i know are you leaning leaning, leaning? here's what else i know next month or next year that may not be true right That may not be true because we all fall. That's why I shared with you David Platt's testimony. It wasn't to rebuke my brother. That's my brother in Christ. It was to lift up the humility in my brother's heart. He's saying, I don't care anymore. I don't care about my book sales. I don't care what you think of me. I want to tap out. I want to be humble. I want Jesus as a means to my end. I have done He's done everything you could do to be successful in the Christian world. He doesn't want it anymore. He wants Jesus. I share with you my testimony. Listen, we all fall into this mentality sometimes. It's just how long we stay there, folks. That's going to be finally damning to us or not. And I don't want that verdict for you. Okay, okay. And here's what else I know. Jesus, our King Jesus, is making it clear that there will be an overwhelming population of the crowd that are going to live their whole lives believing with their whole heart that they were the called, but they weren't. So that pushes me today to be so serious and filled with radical love in my heart to preach well to you today. I want you to see this and I want you to get this. I don't want you to be the crowd. I don't want you to be the one that where the Lord says, get away from me. I never knew you, depart from me. I don't want that for you. That pushes me to give you every opportunity in this sermon to open your eyes and repent and confess in the areas where you need to repent and confess of, you know, to make that change of directory where you need to because for for some of our some of us long-term christians who can't see yourself in the anthem come to Jesus and get health and wealth and prosperity and fame and, and opportunity and blessing, okay, maybe that sounds too easy and unproblematic for you. So so, so let me turn up the heat for you real quick with a bit of that same energy with some helpful language that you may identify with because I want you to see what Jesus is talking about in the text and I want to help in with love. And, 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 and so much prayer that went into this sermon to see what could be the heart of your condition. Okay? I want you to see that. So, so, so track with me because, because it is equally a false notion to believe, as a Christian, the anthem come to Jesus and get peace, joy, and heaven. Uh oh, now we're talking. It is equally a false notion to believe that the Christian's anthem is primarily come to Jesus and get peace, joy, and heaven. Track with me. None of those things are the ultimate message of the Bible regarding Jesus either. No, it's not. The ultimate message of the Bible regarding Jesus is come to Jesus and get Jesus as your reward. I'm going to say it again. The ultimate message of the Bible is come to Jesus and get Jesus as your reward. And that leads us to our next very important takeaway. Here it is. It's, it's on your screen. It's the, it's the ultimate message of the Bible regarding Jesus. Here it is. The ultimate message of the Bible regarding Jesus is not predicated on what we might receive from Jesus. We've been talking about that today, right? But rather that Jesus is the gift in and of himself. All other blessings that flow out from him are peripheral footnotes in comparison to the book-size reward of Jesus as our main treasure. This is good news and not bad news, right? Particularly in difficult seasons and areas of our life where the overflow blessings of Jesus like health, wealth, happiness, personal cho- and personal choice become scarce primarily because the constancy of Jesus as our stability and our living promise gives us a secure place to cast our hope towards, rendering joy today and tomorrow, ours, forever. This is because everything Jesus promises to accomplish, which we join him in, Wow, that's a beautiful, is untethered and totally unaffected by human conflict, natural disasters, political brokenness, spiritual forces, or anything else. Man, folks, that is a mouthful. And and you're going to have to read that slowly to get all of what your pastor is trying to say to you this morning. Okay, pay attention. He's the one we need, and he needs to be the one that we want. He's the one we need, and he needs to be the one we want. And he most definitely is the one from which all things flow from, namely his promises. Folks, he's, he's our savior. So, so not only is he better than all of our desires and all of our wants all put together, folks, he's simply our savior. He gives us a new opportunity that we don't have without him to have a good life. But he has a definition that we as the people of God must face today about what a good life is. we got to stop making our own definitions about that and submit ourselves to the Bible and the cross and Jesus and his disposition and his aims and his trajectory towards a life in eternity. Are you with me today? And, and, and the good news, the good news of the Bible is that the one that is better than all these things that he can give us All these things that he can give us, put together, that guy, folks, the good news is that guy wants us. That guy wants to be in fellowship with us. Our God, our king wants to be in relationship with us. Despite all of our flaws, he says he's up for the task to do life with you and me. Like, are you kidding me? Okay, let's let's keep tracking. The crowd came to Jesus. And they kept coming to Jesus because they heard about all that he was doing and about all that he could do for them. And so they pursued him and they pressed him and they pursued him and they pressed him over and over and over again. But look at the called. The called were different. They came because they realized that Jesus desired them. I need you to see this. Okay, look at it here in Mark chapter 3, verse 13. It's, it's on your screen. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. Why did they come to him? They came because they were responding. Okay, so these disciples came to Jesus because their eyes were opened and they were realizing that the one, the one, the king, Jesus, The one who had authority over life and death. The one that even the demons believed in. Folks, these disciples came and were drawn and were mesmerized because they realized that Jesus wanted them. They found a place of belonging, folks. And not only did he desire them, he called each of them intimately by name with great specificity. Man, this is is so deep. When you, when you see the crowd in verse 7 that we've read, you see this wholeness of places, don't you? They kept coming from every single city. Look, look down real quick. I'll look up at the screen, verse 7 and 8. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee, and then a crowd from Judea, and then a crowd from Jerusalem, and then a crowd from Idumea, and then from beyond the Jordan, and then from Tyre. and Sidor. Do you see what's going on? They kept coming, and it, it tells you why. Because they heard all that he was doing, but they didn't care what he was saying. I'm going to say it to you again. They came from all these cities, and, 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 because they heard of what he was doing, but they didn't care about what he was saying. So so it's crystal clear, right, what's was driving the crowds in droves, city after city, it's What Jesus is providing, it's the stuff, folks. It's the stuff. Yet when we look at the called, we see a completely different emphasis, don't we? Because Jesus appointed them and called them and set them apart. That's what he does for them. Do you see that? With the crowd, Jesus heals, he gives, he provides, he does. But right next, right down below in the passage, when he does the call, what does he give? It's different. He he gives them appointment. Oh, my goodness. He gives them purpose and calling, and he sets them apart, all 12 of them. Wow. What Jesus was giving them was cosmically different, cosmically. The crowd was getting physical resources, yet the called were receiving spiritual resources. I'm going to say that again. The crowd was getting physical resources, yet... The, the called was getting spiritual resources. Like, like, are you feeling the wondrous reality of what Jesus does for those whom he calls? Like, it's a really big deal. Like, you... Right here and right now, not just the person sitting next to you, not just the person behind you, but but you yourself with all your flaws and all your insufficiencies. Jesus desires you and he leaves room for your insufficiencies and he calls you to draw near to him for no other reason but for the fact that he wants to be in relationship with you and he calls you to something more for your life and something deeper for your life. Do you get that? And he does it, and he attaches himself to you to be your great help along that journey. Jesus, the creator of the entire universe, our God, the king over everything, Jesus does that for you and desires to do life with you. Come on, say that out loud. Say, Jesus desires to do life with me. Uh, some of you aren't participating. I'm going to say it again. Say, Jesus desires to do life with someone like me. Man, that's, that's cool. Now, check this out in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, because I want you to see the word of God today. Here it is. It's, it's on your screen. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Okay, pay attention. Jesus desires you to experience eternal life and not death. He doesn't want that for you like like isn't that the greatest news in in all the world that our God the creator of all Things desires you and wants to give you more life and more opportunities and new perspectives That that's a win to me. Okay. I want to Represent the gospel today for you because I want you to experience more of Jesus either for the first time if you're a wonder or you're a seeker or or I want you to have a refreshing perspective of the gospel today if you've been walking with Jesus for any length of time. Because I want you to know that you've been created by God and that he, he formed you and he made you who you are. Simply as supernaturally, like all your little intricacies, God did that and he made you for life with him. This is a beautiful thing, but yet you and I, we we sinned against God, and we turned away from him and his ways and his orders, and we chose ourselves and our own ways and our own wants, and we exchanged the creator for the created things we chose. Every one of us chose the gifts over the giver, and yet God loved Brandon Put your name there so much that he came into the world in the person of Jesus and he lived a sinless, perfect life. And then he died on the cross for my sin and your sin. And then he rose from the grave in three days like the conquering king that he is for Brandon. Put your name there. So that we, me and you, would be forgiven of our sin. And then Jesus restores Brandon. Make it, do you get, he restored me out of that disposition. And he restores you into a relationship with him where we can do it his way. And he promises us, folks, that is good for us now and in the end. Okay, God desired you and me that much. To do all of that do you desire him do you desire him okay now you may be thinking right now in this moment but but you don't understand pastor brandon you don't understand what i've done like like i'm hearing you today and i'm hearing this sermon but but if you knew what i did in my past and and if you knew what i did yesterday at at night uh, okay you're right i don't know I don't know what you did but 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 god does god absolutely knows everything you've done and and everything you're gonna do yet the word of god says he still chose you and me and desires to be in relationship with us like you got to get that that's the gospel and folks what i'm trying to say is that our response to that should not cause us to walk around simply trusting him with our lives It should lead us to want to make Jesus our lives. Do you see the difference? Let me juxtapose these because we got to stop being cultural Christians. We got to be Bible-believing, Christ-exalting, genuine people who are called. It's not good enough to trust Him with your life. What that means is it's your life and you're going to do what you want and you're going to trust that he's going to help you along the way. That's not the Bible's message. The Bible says Jesus becomes your life. Paul says, I died so Christ could live. Do you get what that means? The word of God in the gospel says, pick up your cross and follow me and to die daily. The word of God says that we Die so that Christ can resurrect and live in us. So folks, when we hear the gospel, it is to compel us to trust Jesus to be our new life and our new way. And that's the whole point, folks. The crowd comes to Jesus because they want to get things from him, but they do not want him to become their life. And the called say, Jesus, I want to attach myself to you. I'm going to leave my carpenter career. I'm going to leave the net on the other side. I'm going to literally attach to you. I'm going to follow you around this world, and I'm going to make you the center of my affections. I'm going to make you my life. Okay, now, now, I do want to be careful. I, I want to be careful in the explanation of, of the crowd only wanting things from Jesus. Because obviously, by being in relationship with Jesus— um, One of the things that happens in that relationship even when it is pure is that we're going to get many great things from him like like there really is So much to receive from Jesus when you are in a right and true and good healthy Relationship with him peace and joy and love and happiness really do folks They really do become ours, right? Okay. Okay, but listen for the rest of your life don't you dare forget what I'm about to unpack right here. It's it's really important because the crowd is only focused on the receiving portion of the relationship. And it's not an ask for them. It's a need. They need it and they're demanding it and they have to have the stuff. And without their needs and demands being achieved and activated, if they don't get the stuff, they don't want Jesus. So when you ask Jesus for things as a called man and woman, is it truly an ask? Tell yourself, ask yourself then in your heart. Is it really an ask or do you need it? Do you expect it? Do you require it? Do you have to have it? Don't jump too fast and go, I know the answer to that. I don't have to have it. Okay. Well, let's think with great circumspection about how Jesus walked. He would come to the Pharisees. He would come to the Sadducees and he would say, you say that you haven't murdered. I say you've already murdered because you have hate in your heart. Okay, so in other words, what Jesus is saying is he's not just looking for outward obedience. He's looking for inward devotion. Our God doesn't just look for outward obedience. He looks for inward inward devotion. So, so let me give you a barometer or a thermometer of what it means to need and demand and require Jesus to give you the things you want. When you don't get them, how is your attitude? Are you filled with joy or are you despondent? Are you out living life being a joyful Christian or are you in your room depressed and despondent? When, when things don't go your way, do you take them out on your spouse and your children? Or do you turn on your knees and you praise God for what he is giving you? When, when, when the job doesn't come through or the, the promotion doesn't happen or the church doesn't, ac- doesn't say the right thing or the friend doesn't accept you or your husband doesn't hear you or your wife doesn't respect you or whatever it is, what happens in your heart? Are you demanding Jesus to solve your problems? Or do you ask him, no matter what the results are, praising him for who for who he is? Because the cult in the text seen here in Mark were drawn to Jesus because they recognized that Jesus desired them, and they counted that, folks, as enough for them. And, and so out of that, they wanted to be in return with him. They saw that Jesus wanted them, and their response was to want Jesus. That's the gospel. Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish to have eternal life. God wants us. And the true believer who responds to the gospel says, oh, I want you. I want you in return. Folks, everything the disciples received was a bonus to them. It was not a requirement for these guys. Do you know what that does to your heart? When what God gives you becomes a bonus and not a requirement, then what happens? When the job doesn't turn out and the the marriage gets a little bit rocky and the children don't do exactly what you want, you're still worshiping God. You're content. You're satisfied in Him because Jesus is your point, because Jesus doesn't fail you, because Jesus shows up for you. But when the husband does deliver and the wife does deliver and the children do the right thing and the job comes through, you're ridiculously excited. Your worship goes from already cosmic levels to galactic levels because you know that it's a bonus. And that leads to our next important takeaway. Here it is, it's, it's on your screen. If your relationship with Jesus is transactional, in so far as your desire for him goes up and down as it correlates to the amount of opportunity and abundance and peace and happiness and health and money goes, something isn't right. Are you, are you tracking with me? Are you understanding this yet? Today, my brothers and sisters. Okay, so so let's go deeper because then Jesus ups the love. He ups the love in the text by by sending them out to preach. Now that's now that's different, isn't it? And and not only does he send them out these these twelve disciples out to preach, he grants them his authority just i can't even unpack all this and he gives them the same authority um, excuse me he gives us it's like that's just for the 12. nope because then in matthew chapter 28 he gives us that same authority too are you kidding me like <laughs> okay so are you doing this brother and sister like are you living and growing like a man or a woman that is from the cult or are you acting and living from the disposition of the crowd? Because right here in the text, Jesus was turning the whole world upside down, folks. Like, like you do realize that this is where it all started, right? Do, do, do you get that? Like, it started right here on this mountain when Jesus made one of the most important decisions of his entire ministry regarding parsing through the crowd and making sure he called those, those who desired him, and and there are church, and because of that, there are churches that exist today that are in the thousands of members, and they're just one church each of them in and of themselves. And then there's literally thousands of these mega church of thousands, and then there's. There's thousands, hundreds of thousands of 150 size level church. There's hundreds of thousands of of house churches. And literally all of this is possible because Jesus desired a group of people who came to him out of amazement that he wanted them, not from amazement regarding what Jesus could provide for them it wasn't jesus's provision it was jesus's vision for himself towards them and his vision for where he wanted them to go and when the disciples saw the destiny that jesus proclaimed they said i want in i want into that my savior and my king oh man for that type of relationship and that type of energy that takes, that takes our spirit-filled position, doesn't it? Like, like, this is a world-changing force from world-changing men serving a world-changing God right here in Mark chapter 3. But it didn't look like it. Are you tracking? That's not what it looked like. Like, remember, we're from a privileged position. We got to get into the text. Like, like these eleven disciples, they were not the sharpest tools in the tool shed. I just want you to know that. And and that was a part of of Jesus's genius. If I'm being honest, like like namely that he reached the world in the most counterintuitive way. Because let's just be honest, if it were me and you trying to make a strategy or a stratagem to literally reach the whole world with the gospel, we would need all all these great strategies and all these programs and conventions to make that happen, wouldn't we? And, and along with all of our great strategies and conventions, we would be trying to hunt down and hire the most gifted and talented employees and pastors and leaders, wouldn't we? But, but what does Jesus do? Huh? What does he do in the text? He goes up on a normal, ordinary mountain, and he calls normal and ordinary men, and he simply takes interest in them. This will change how you do discipleship with people. It's not about having all the fancy words and the Bible verses and the exegetical approaches. Folks, just take interest in the people. Take interest in them. Jesus took interest in them. And and then he shared his power and he shared his life and he taught them to become a family together and to spread the good news together. And, And this one is key for us today. And he taught them to focus on eternal things. He taught them to focus on, to focus on eternity. And let me tell you right now, as a pastoral counselor who spends a lot of time studying and trying to help people find flourishment in their relationships God's way, these 11 men were so challenged as a group to get along, and to unify. Did you know that? Like like these men were not naturally inclined to hang out and to live and to work together all the time. You do know that, right? Like you do know that there was a lot of immediate tension amongst them when Jesus brought them together. You, you, you didn't know that, right? Like they were not prepared to spend this much time together. They just weren't. And and I say that because so often we think of the church as this squeaky clean Disney church that is conflict and rift free and and nothing bad is supposed to happen. And when conflicts and rifts happen, we lose our mind. But, But that's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches us. And so listen to me, track with me when it feels like the world's collapsing because Christians gather and have different opinions about politics or Covid, or racial tensions, or to, or we as Christians in the church struggle to agree with what's going on in the normalcy of our everyday life. We must remember to turn to God and His Word. Are you with me? Because the Bible shows us countless examples all throughout the New Testament and in the Old Testament of conflict in the church, envy in the church, hurt feelings in the church, offenses in the church as well, folks. The Bible is showing us highly charged moments with people with highly charged emotions back then too. But here's the thing. The Bible encourages us in the text that the churches found restoration, redemption, resolution to their conflict, and harmony at different stages was reestablished. Praise Christ. That's our hope. So so I say this to encourage us as a small church, RCC right here, to not grow weary or alarmed when we have seasons of of conflict or when we ruffle each other's feathers. It's a part of the process of sanctification. But what a radical opportunity we have as a small community of spirit-filled leaders, those who are walking or learning to walk as the called to learn and to prepare to lead well and to love each other well and to prepare for what we are all believing we're going to get as an opportunity as we get ready to open our doors again in a real way. Okay. Hear me. When I say this, we are called, we are called not because it's easy, but because it's worth it. I'm going to say it to you again, we are called by god not because it's going to be easy but because jesus says it's worth it and you got to get that in your heart because what family has perfect conflict free situations all the time none exist and so Folks, we are growing together to be more like Jesus, which all which requires being stretched beyond our comfort and being stretched beyond our normal capacities in, 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 in our thinking and our relationships. We're being stretched to love people deeper, to love people wider, to love each other deeper, to love each other wider. And that's going to be difficult at times and that's gonna be hard. And if you remember way back in the summer of 2019, back during the DNA series, we talked about the the sobering reality that so often that we can get caught up in our own heads or in church conflict and we can do all these things to the point where we're not even reaching anybody else that doesn't have access to the gospel. Do you remember that? Do you remember the sobering stat that literally only one person wrote in our whole church statistically that, they, that in the past four months they had actively tried to reach someone with the gospel? Like, that's sobering. And folks, that's the energy of the crowd. And I believe God's calling us to be the called. And I want us to awaken to that today. Okay, so, so how long are, are, are you or, or perhaps me or, or whoever you are listening, are you going to embody the spirit of the crowd? And what is it going to take for you to primarily position yourself to, restart, to start receiving the marching orders that the God of the universe has for you? Like, what are you waiting for? Is it relief from your suffering or, or peace for your circumstances or happiness from your heart or health for your children or vision for your prerogatives, like stuff like that? Is that what you're waiting on? Because hear me say this once more. We are the called, not because it's going to be an easy journey, but because the journey that Jesus is calling us to is going to be worth it. <laughs> I don't think you're hearing me. Tell me one illustration of Jesus healing his disciples of their sicknesses. Tell tell me one example of Jesus granting his disciples any pay or any money or any prosperity. Uh, Tell me one example of Jesus giving giving to the called in the way that he often gave to the crowd. Give me one example in the text. Show me one. Like, like, have you ever stopped to actually think and consider that perhaps he didn't give to the called in the same way that he gave to the crowd because of their heart's focus? Have you ever stopped to think about that? When we get stuck in our, our needs, our wants, did you notice that he didn't give to the called in the ways he gave to the crowd? You see, Jesus gave to the crowd physically to show them his power. But it had a point, and his hope in giving them physical things was that it would lead to them desiring him from a spiritual perspective. He knew the crowd wanted stuff. So Jesus gave them stuff as a bridge leverage point to hear his message. But folks, Jesus gave his actual power to the cult. Jesus gave stuff to the crowd but he gave his power to the called because he gave to them spiritually in hopes that it might mature them to do the things he was doing for others because he knew that what the called people wanted the most was to imitate him. Oh man, the crowd's primary thing they wanted was gifts. The called's primary interest was to join Jesus and to imitate him. That's, that's deep. So, so at what point are, are you going to embody that type of a mentality in your life? Because listen, we are living in a day and in an age right now where the world is being divided. I said this already, we're living in a pandemic, we're living in political divisive times we're living in racially divisive times we're living with so many critical theories we're going to be talking about that as a church and critical race theories and things like that that are dividing us and 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 we have to decide if we're going to lift above the noise and above the crowd and step into the calling that jesus has placed upon our lives because We have to be reminded that no matter how difficult we think it is to live in this pandemic and to live through COVID and to live through restrictions like this and restrictions like that, it was infinitely more difficult for these 11 men to share the gospel and to unite and to serve others from different ideologies of that time, folks. What we're going through doesn't compare. In fact, it was astronomically easier. I mean, excuse me, it's astronomically easier for you and for me to share and unite and to fellowship and to work through our challenges despite COVID compared to what they were going through back historically at this time. Therefore, listen, sharing the gospel today and finding harmony with others and working through our difficulties together as a church and then being a spirit-filled light to others and calling them into it, folks, That's not a difficulty issue. That's a heart and a priority issue. It's a heart problem, not a it's too hard problem. It's a heart problem. And I'm hoping that today's sermon can be an opportunity for you to follow me as your pastor to begin to really look at what we're doing as a church and therefore what we're doing as individual families and therefore what we get to do as the called and chosen people of God. Listen, I have three stories. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm landing the plane. I got three quick stories to share with you about what, what God's doing despite COVID in our country today. And I want you to listen to me. Check, check this out. Story, example number one, true story happening right now in the people of God. Okay, so there's these parents that are that are in their 30s and they had three children under the age of 12. And the mom was a Christian, but the dad wasn't. Okay. Uh, the, the mom took a leap of faith and, and she brought the father to a Zoom COVID Bible study. Okay? That's all her church could offer. And and on the fourth time of this Zoom home church bible study that the church put on the father comes to jesus one week later that same dad was diagnosed with stage four cancer ten months later he was in hospice in his home they brought hospice care this dad i want you to know was baptized in his house with his church group around on zoom a week later that dad went to be with jesus did you know why this father and this husband is now with Jesus today and will be with Jesus tomorrow and is now with Jesus forever into eternity? Because of God's grace played out in a church that said we're not laying down down to the pandemic. We're not making excuses and we're going to reach those who are far from Jesus. And this mom leaned in for her family, despite years of her, of her husband saying no, no, no to the gospel. And out of all the times and of all the season, this father on zoom meets Jesus is baptized and is in eternity forever because the church did the responsibility and they came together and they act like the cult and they didn't fight over all their needs and all their wants that aren't happening in the pandemic they focused they focused on the commission story number two these are true stories happening in the churches right here in our country a young man in his uh, er, uh, early 20s wanted to share the gospel but lacked the courage to do so. I'm taking the names out because I want you to focus on God. And he lacked the courage to do so. Uh, he worked at the store Ace Hardware. So he goes to a, an older member, a more mature, deepened out member of his church community, and he asked for prayer and for courage because he really was nervous to share the gospel. He didn't think he could do it very well. And so then uh, after a couple more days of working with his mentor or his disciple, the guy who's discipling him, he takes the curse step the um, the next morning at 9 a.m. when his his shift started. And by the evening, he got a call, right? So he, he talks to this employee that he's been wanting to talk to, and he just does his best job that very night. His employee, his coworker calls him out of the blue and starts asking him all these questions about Jesus and about faith and about um, uh, his story and about what God has to say and, and what all of it means and I want you to know that right there on the phone, that young man walked that his friend, his coworker into a decision in Christ right from right from a conversation at work at ACE Hardware. Ending on a phone in the conversation, and now this other person is now walking towards eternity. One more story. A Hindu family, this one's just a couple months ago, a Hindu family which uh, um, um, comprised of a wife and five children with a husband that unfortunately died last year was in need of help. And a very small church of no bigger than 120 people had three small groups. And just one of those small groups um, happened to be doing a small group in the neighborhood where this woman was moving into their community. Okay, track with me. And so they saw that the woman had some knees by talking to her on the side of the street. The small group comes together and they leaned in and they said, what's the best we can do to help out this Hindu family? They came up with a plan. They approached the Hindu family, this woman and her five children. They said, we would like to furnish your entire living room and kitchen. That's, that's, that's the most we can do. The the Hindu woman cried and wept and said she'd be so grateful. And so they came in and they furnished her entire living room and they furnished her entire kitchen and they put one Bible on the, um, excuse me, where did they put it? On the counter of her kitchen with a small note that says, we love Jesus and Jesus loves you and he compelled us to do this act for you. That's it. I want you to know that that woman Was compelled the next week she told the small group this right she picks up the Bible a week after staying there as she was sitting after all her five kids went to bed and she's sitting there and she says I'm gonna pick up this book and read about Whatever this God is and who this Jesus is that would compel them to do this. And so she opens up the Bible and begins to read and read and read. And she starts to do this for a month. All of a sudden, she comes across the street on the same night that the small group meets for Bible study. She says, I want to know more about your Jesus. The long story short, this this woman gives her life to Jesus out of her Hindu faith, joins the small group in COVID. Are you kidding me? This, this is what's happening, folks, in churches around our country who are leaning in and are acting and taking on the mentality of the called. So, so when you hear stories like this of people who are introduced to Jesus and the response is to accept Jesus and it leads to eternal life despite tragedies, despite difficult circumstances, despite uncomfortability, despite COVID, what does that do for you? In your heart does that cause you to want to raise your hand and to shout i want that for myself pastor brandon i want to get in the game i want to put my focus on god i want to see jesus as supremely valuable in such a way that it compels me to join him and to be with him on his prerogatives in the things that he cares about okay listen to me we're landing the plane don't settle for being of the crowd. Don't do it. Don't do it. There are a multitude of people who are making that deadly exchange daily in the church. RCC, let us not be a church and let us not be a people who choose choose that path and that destiny. Because if we do, we're missing out on a beautiful opportunity to be a part of the smaller group identified in Mark chapter 3. And they were called the cult. And we're missing out on the opportunity to relish being with Jesus. And this undeserved opportunity and this amazing responsibility to be sent out from him. We're going to be continuing this conversation as a church next Sunday. And I'm so excited to do that. And so just make that a priority. Put it in your calendar next Sunday. I got a date with Pastor Brandon. I got a date with my Bible. I got a date with my God. And I got a date with my church family. Because I just want you to know this. And I want you to end with this. Be the called man. And be the called woman that our Heavenly Father has destined you to be. Because real life lasting abundant life a life that's worth living and a life that you can count on is amongst the cult trusting Jesus desiring Jesus as better than anything else that this world has to offer Jesus is our end so if if you feel that you've never left the crowd before and you're like pastor Brandon I've been walking with the crowd my entire relationship with Jesus or, or pastor Brandon, I've been walking with the crowd because I'm not even with the Jesus or perhaps you're like pastor Brandon. I, I feel like I'm in the cold, but I think I've been drifting more and more towards the crowd. No matter where you're at either side of the equation, join with me with all your heart into this prayer. Here it is. Lord, Abba Father, we want you and we trust that you are better than all of the best things that this world has to offer. Put together. We have sought stuff from this world and we have found ourselves coming up empty time and time again. We have fought against each other over things that are not ultimate and we have found ourselves disappointed. But, but today we want to trust that you are the fullness of life and the fullness of joy and the fullness of peace and that it is all found in you. So, so we declare today that we don't want abstract peace apart from you and abstract joy apart from you just for the end of our wants with our families and jobs and circumstances and opinions and stances. No, Lord, instead we want you the joy of simply abiding in you and for you and, and and adopting your ways and adopting your focuses and adopting your aims and adopting your trajectories. We want power to extend ourselves in the relationships and the jobs and the circumstances that we find in and that we would imitate you. Holy Spirit, help us to a pledge our allegiance like the call did. In Mark chapter 3, and may we never forget the difference between the crowd. So, so forgive us. Forgive us for turning to all these other things. And, and now we, we want to trust in a deeper way all of the things that Jesus prioritizes and that Jesus died for on the cross. And, and God, we praise you for, for your desire for us. Because it all started with that. And we pray that you would forgive us for all the ways we have seen you as a means to an end, as if there's actually something more satisfying than you yourself. We're so sorry, Father, when we carry ourselves like that. I I pray that you would forgive us for how we have exalted your good gifts above you as the giver of those gifts. And we pray that we would live this called life. And I pray that this over every single man and every single woman and every single child that can hear my voice right now. And I pray this over my own life, God. I want to act and live and breathe, Jesus. May we be a light and a remnant To this culture that desperately is yearning for direction, I pray that you would use this sermon over and over again for those who you've planned to hear it. May it be a lighter to the fire that you have destined them to be. So God, help us. Help us to live out of the overflow of your desire for us first and, and your love for us that came first seeking you as our end change our hearts so that we might say the one thing i seek and the one thing i desire is to dwell with you forever for you are my life it's because of your beautiful name that the people of god lifted their voices and said in agreement amen Grace and peace, Redemption City Church, and all those who tuned in today, walk as the cult.